Good evening, everyone. I'm going to be talking about the parable of the sower, and it's found three times in the Gospels, in Matthew, Luke, and Mark. I'm going to be reading out of Mark chapter 4, verses 1 through 20. Mark chapter 4, verses 1 through 20. And he began again to teach by the seaside, and there was gathered unto him a great multitude, so that he entered into a ship and sat in the sea, and the whole multitude was by the sea on the land. And he taught them many things by parables, and said unto them in his doctrine, Hearken, behold, there went out a sower to sow. And it came to pass, as he sowed, some fell by the wayside, and the fowls of the air came and devoured it up. And some fell... On stony ground, where it had not much earth, and immediately it sprang up, because it had no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, it was scorched, and because it had no root, it withered away. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no fruit. And other fell on good ground, and did yield fruit that sprang up and increased, and brought forth some thirty, and some sixty, and some an hundred. Okay. I'm going to skip down... Now, I'm going to stop reading there for now. Um, So that's the story um, of the sower. And this parable was one of the first that came to my mind. Um, It's it's a lot easier to understand because Jesus gives us an explanation right away. Some of the parables, we we try to figure out what Jesus exactly meant. But this one's nice because he tells us exactly what it means. Um... I'm going to talk about the context first because I think it explains some, some things about why Jesus talked in parables. If you look on later, um, it says, well, at the beginning there, in verse 2, I think it is, it says, and he taught them many things by parables. So Jesus was preaching that day, and he taught them almost everything by parables. Okay? And the setting here, I'm going to try to illustrate it a little bit, how it might have been. Um, Jesus was, where was Jesus? Where was he sitting? Shout it out. Yeah, he was, it says it was, he was sitting on the sea, I think it is. Sat in the sea, yeah. In a boat. And why? Because there was a great many people. It was several thousand people. And uh, this is... There was all kinds of people. Some of them maybe came to see if he would do more miracles. Some maybe brought their sick people. Um, there was even some that wanted him to make a mistake and they wanted to catch him in it. And uh, I was wondering, how could Jesus talk to this many people without a mic like I have right here? I mean, even with our church, it's really hard for everybody to hear sometimes if there's not a mic. And uh, Somebody did an experiment where they sat on a rock in the Sea of Galilee where Jesus was, and they were sat there with a balloon, and another person would go up the hill, and they found that even a hundred yards away, you could clearly hear just a pop of a balloon. And there are several reasons. It's the Sea of Galilee is in a it's like in a bowl pretty much, and uh, the water helps. There, there's wind that comes off the water, and it it uh, it blows the sound up to the hill. So you can imagine the people seated, seated around like this, and Jesus in the boat right here. And so it, it was no problem at all for everybody to hear. And in fact, the people that were doing this experiment, they saw people driving by on the road up in the, in the ridge, 
and the people were like talking and wondering what, what are they doing down in the water. They could easily hear what they were saying. So there, there you can understand a little bit if you wonder how Jesus could speak to this many people. It's really quite simple. Okay. So Jesus taught many things in parables, it says. Why did he talk in parables? Um, further on, in verse 11, he says, <clears throat> And he said unto them, Unto you it is given to know the mystery of the kingdom of God. But unto them that are without, all these things are done in parables, that seeing they may see and not perceive, and hearing they may hear and not understand, lest at any time they should be converted, and their sins should be forgiven them. What does that mean? Jesus is speaking in parables so that the people can't understand. That doesn't make any sense. Okay, so why, did, why do you think Jesus did that? Um, the, verse that the, the verse there in verse 11, what Jesus quotes is almost a direct quote from Isaiah 6, where God is speaking with Isaiah, and, it said, and he said, Go and tell this people, Hear ye indeed, but understand not, and see ye indeed, but perceive not. Make the heart of this people fat, and make their ears heavy, and shut their eyes, lest they see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and convert, and be healed. Then said I, Lord, how long? And he answered, Until, until the cities be wasted without inhabitant, and the houses without man, and the land be utterly desolate. And the Lord have removed men far away, and there be a great forsaking in the midst of the land. But yet in it shall be a tenth, and it shall return." And shall be eaten as a teal tree, and as an oak, whose substance is in them when they cast their leaves, so the holy seed shall be the substance thereof. So is Jesus purposely denying people a chance to, to come to the kingdom of God? Is Jesus purposefully speaking in riddles so that people won't understand him? That's what it appears like when you read this. Um, there's several things, as I was researching this, there's several reasons why I think Jesus would have done that. And we know that Jesus liked to, to use um, illustrations of things that were all around him. Like, he was in the Sea of Galilee, and uh, over here there was maybe a field, and, and there was a path that came down where the people walked even maybe to come to hear Jesus speak. That would be the wayside. And over here there was a pile of rocks maybe where where there was weeds growing and, and maybe not much wheat and over here there was a thorny patch where somebody had forgotten to hoe or pull the weeds or whatever and somewhere over here was was a nice patch of wheat and Jesus loved doing that to illustrate his stories but then he didn't explain what they meant okay so I have several reasons why Jesus would do that um, like I said before there were different types of people that came to hear Jesus. So most of, I, I would bet the majority of the people that came to see Jesus were there to see what would happen. They weren't actually there to, to learn things. They were curious. They wanted to see if he would do anything cool or, or people were fans, that kind of thing. They weren't truly interested in what Jesus had to offer and there were, there were people that came to see if Jesus would mess up so they could catch him, like the Pharisees and the Sadducees. 
They were just waiting. They, everything that Jesus was saying was just going in one ear and out the other. And they were waiting till Jesus would make a mistake so they could catch him in it. So there was those types of people. And then there was a few people that actually were interested and that would actually do what Jesus said. And so, and I'm going to quote here John 6, verse 1. When Jesus therefore perceived that they would come and take him by force to make him a king. This was after the feeding of the 5,000. What did the people do? They saw the miracle, and immediately they wanted to make him king. But they totally missed the message of everything else. And the disciples did too. It seems almost everybody did. So all these fans that came completely missed Jesus' message. And also remember during the crucifixion, how many of these people supported Jesus? Like you can almost count them on one hand, the amount of people that stayed with Jesus the whole time. And so, and yeah, the scribes and the Pharisees, they tried to criticize him whenever they could. In the prior chapter even, they accused him of casting out devils with Beelzebub by Satan himself. They didn't believe in what Jesus was doing. So do you picture how Jesus was feeling? He was here trying to teach these people, and he knew, he could tell what they were thinking. They weren't interested in the least, some of them, most of them probably. They just wanted to see something cool. And so, in a way, what Jesus said about lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart, it was partly a prophecy. This is what's going to happen. As he was explaining this to the disciples, he was telling them, this is what's going to happen. These, I'm, I can tell all the stories I want, and these people are not going to hear anyway. They're not going to, yeah, I can say however I want, and they're not going to understand. And you, maybe you start to appreciate his patience. Um, I've been a teacher, and I, I know what it's like to have a student that just does not get it, no matter how many different ways you illustrate it. He just does not get it. And imagine that with all these people, all these people that came, and there was only a few that were truly interested. And he was trying to teach them, and they were not getting it. And on top of that, there were people over here that were looking over Jesus' shoulder, looking for anything they could to see if he would make a mistake. So, yeah, I mean, you can start to understand why Jesus said that. Maybe it was a hint of sarcasm, too. Like, they're not going to understand anyway. I can, I can preach it however I want. They're not going to understand. So Jesus says, go ahead. Close your ears. Be deaf. Be blind. Whatever. Don't get it. It's up to you. But also notice, at the end of that passage I read in Isaiah, there be a great forsaking in the midst of the land, but yet in it shall be a tenth. There was hope. Okay? Jesus wasn't giving up. There were people that were truly interested in what he had to say. And those people would get the stories. So, yeah, so as you look at this crowd of people, Jesus is mostly speaking to the people that were truly interested And the people that just came to see cool stuff, they wouldn't get it. And that was what Jesus was doing it for. That was his whole purpose of the parables. To speak in stories 
so that even the most, I don't know how, like the most, I don't want to say unintelligent or dumb, but the most simple person, like even a child can understand these stories. Maybe the children even understood it better than the adults. You see? And then a little, little further on, the disciples come to Jesus. They didn't even understand. Verse 13. And he said unto them, Know ye not this parable? And how then will ye know all parables? Jesus, I think, is exasperated. You disciples, you've been with me all this time, and you don't realize story after story after story that I'm telling you, you don't understand it, you don't get it. Okay. So now with all that in mind, let's get into the story here. The actual parable. And as I said, Jesus loved to use illustrations that were all around him. So the, the wayside, the, the thorns, the rocks, they were probably all around him. He was, I can imagine Jesus, um, if you kind of put yourself in a Middle Eastern setting where it's about 20 or 30 degrees hotter than it is right now. And uh, yeah, sunny and, and Jesus is speaking. And you're here beside your, is a field maybe, some farmer has plowed it, and there's some rocks and some thorns, and there's little paths through it. Okay? Keep that in mind. Um, as you read this story, what, um, what is the point? Or what, what gets talked about the most? There's several things. There's a sower, there's seeds, there's land. What's the focus? That's a question for y'all. What's the focus of the story? Is it on the sower? The harvest, yeah. That's right. The soil. The soil. The different types of soils. Yeah. And maybe my point by, by asking that is, the point is not the sower in this story. Even though there has to be a sower. That's not the point of this story. Okay? <clears throat> Who is the sower? It doesn't, even when Jesus explains it, he doesn't really say who it is. It just says, the sower soweth the word. Who sows the word? Who would that be? That's right. Anybody who is a Christian who believes in spreading God's word. And that could be Jesus as well. So this story um, we can f- sort of see ourselves in both parts. We can, our heart can be a type of soil, and we can also be the sower. So think of the sowers in your lives in this story. Who are the sowers in your lives? And you as a sower can sort of think of yourself sowing seeds um, to others. <clears throat> Notice that um, the so- it says, The sower soweth the word. He does not make the word. The seeds are given to him. Who gives the seeds? Yeah, the Holy Spirit. God gives the seeds. They're given to us. We don't have to worry about getting the seeds. Okay? We just sow them. We have them already. Okay? It's not our responsibility to find the seeds first and then sow them. We're given them. Okay? Where do we sow? You know, maybe 
this story would maybe be better if we would just do the fertile soil because what's the point of sowing? Where, I mean, obviously there's rocks over here, so why would you sow over the rocks or over this path? Why would you sow in the path? Why not just sow on the good ground? Then you wouldn't need to worry about this other stuff. It's because we don't know people's hearts. So we sow everywhere. And so we, we are given the word, and we, we go around and we sow to everybody. It's not our responsibility to look and see, well, maybe this person, uh, my seed might be wasted there. So I'm not going to sow to that person. Okay? No. We have to sow everywhere. If we just sow to certain people, our harvest is going to be much smaller. And the harvest, is that our responsibility? No. Or the growing of the seed, that's not our responsibility. Us as a sower, it's our responsibility to sow. That's all we're supposed to do. And we're supposed to sow everywhere. Okay? And the last point about the sower, God doesn't reward based on the results, does he? If there's this guy over here throwing seed all over the place, and he gets four plants, and there's this other guy that, I mean, he just, it seems he just doesn't get much done. He just, you know, he works so hard, and he drops one seed here, and he works so slow, I mean, and he gets four seeds, or, or maybe just one, maybe just one plant. God doesn't look at the results. God doesn't judge based on the results. He, ba- he base, bases his judgment on our efforts. Have you heard anything any time about on the average how many people need to witness to a person by a soul to save? I haven't, but I'm sure you know. How much is well, it? Some people have said, suggested six or seven times. Mm-hmm. Right. So as we sow the seed, doesn't look like there's a lot of prospect here, but it may still bear fruit in some mm-hmm. later day. And in that example, the five previous people, was their sowing a failure? No, of course not. So we see that God doesn't judge based on the results. So we need to just get out there and sow. We need to grab our sack of seeds and head out and sow wherever we go. We don't have to just do it in church. I mean, obviously in church it's pretty fertile, right? I mean, we can sow in church. But uh, if we go to Walmart, there's all kinds of people out there that I'm sure would just laugh at us if we brought our sack of seeds in there. That's not true. We can sow wherever we are. And I'm speaking to myself as much as anybody else here, just so you know. This studying this has taught me a lot. Okay, so it seems like I recently kind of became aware of the possibility that the apostles preached on the streets and in the markets. Mm-hmm. And then in the churches they gathered for praise and prayer and nurture. Mm-hmm. But preaching was more something for the streets and out there to broadcast it to whoever might be more listening. Mm-hmm. Everywhere. Chucking it everywhere, yeah. Yep. Okay, the first type of soil is... What's the first type of soil mentioned? I'm going to ask more questions, so... I'm going to keep you on your toes. 
the stony. Is it the stony ground? I was thinking it's the wayside. Maybe. Okay. Yeah. So the wayside, and it really doesn't matter which order we go, but I have it sort of in a certain order because of the way the story sort of goes. Um, <clears throat> so in the wayside, how's the soil? In each of these, um, I'm going to look at the soil, the plant, and the harvest. Okay, And you'll see that they're all different. How's the soil in the wayside? Trodden down. down, right. It's where people walk. When I mean, you had these fields, and people needed to get from point A to point B, so they took the shortest route, maybe, and uh, made a path. And soon other people followed the same path, and so it became trodden down. So the soil was hard. It was infertile. It might have, might have been fertile if somebody would have plowed it, but people wanted to walk there. <clears throat> okay? And in each of these, think of these as, I'm going to sort of illustrate a person's heart in, in each of these. So I'm going to sort of do both, uh, the story, according to how Jesus illustrated the story. So where, where people traveling, maybe Jesus pointed out here, you know, this path here, this is, this is like this first part here. Okay? It was busy. People walk through all the time. Imagine a seed being dropped there. What would happen? Do you think it had any chance to grow? Not very much of one. Okay, all kinds of hustle and bustle. Think of, a, think of somebody's heart now as an, using that as an illustration. Um, God's word comes into this person's heart, and their heart is busy doing all kinds of things, and Satan is there, trying to get him to do more and more and more. What happens to the seed? Can it grow? Can it even germinate at all? And if it rains, what happens? The rain just washes off. The seed doesn't have a chance. It might have a small chance, okay? There's always a chance. But it's very slim. And notice, this isn't the sower's fault. It's the person's, whoever, it's the soil that's bad. It's not the sower. The sower is sowing equally here as he is here. But it's the soil that's bad. It's the heart of this person that's bad. We're too busy with, I mean, I'm going to say we're illustrating this is myself. I'm too busy. My, my heart is too busy going after other things. And Satan keeps plopping other things um, picture this as maybe like a market, like you said. Like people walking back and forth. Satan is popping his things here for us to look at. And we're, people are going back and forth. And there's no chance for the plant to grow. So what does a plant look like? Is there one? No. There's no plant. There's not even one to look at. So there's no chance for it to even germinate, much less sprout into a healthy plant. The seed that gets dropped into this heart is seen as enter entertaining or interesting. Look at the seed for a while and, wow, that, that looks interesting. You go hear God's word somewhere, wow, that was, that was quite the interesting sermon. And then you go to work the next day or you, you go do something else the next day and you, soon it sort of fades away what happened. You completely forget about it. That's what would happen. That's the illustration of the, the wayside. The seed lies there for a while, and then it, the birds come and eat it up, or it gets swept away by a broom or a person's shoe. Okay? 
And what about the harvest? Again, there's no harvest because the seed never had a chance to grow. All right, the second one. What's the second soil? Alta, you said it already. What's the second soil? That's right, the stony soil or the rocky soil. Think of a pile of rocks over here. So we did the wayside already. Think about a pile of rocks over here in the corner of the field, maybe where the farmer chucked his rocks. He was picking rocks out of his field, maybe, and he chucked them over to one corner. Oh, we were in Israel last year. Mm-hmm. It is incredible the amount of rocks they have in their soil. But our guy told us the soil is very productive. Uh, all it needs is a bit of moisture. It doesn't require a lot of uh, extra fertilizer. Mm-hmm. It is a very productive soil. But So did you think of this parable when you were over there? You were thinking of too many other things, yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, that's interesting. Or maybe the soil was just stony, like he said. Okay? And again, the sower doesn't look, oh, you know, that, that, there's just too many rocks there. I'm just going to sort of not sow there, and I'm just going to sow around it. Well, no, maybe there's some soil there that just needs a chance, just needs a seed. But generally, how's the soil? It's infertile. Or maybe fertile. It may look fertile first. How's the plant? There is one this time, right? At first, do you think the plant is any different than the one in fertile soil? No? I tend to think that the, rock, the, the plant in the rocky soil looks good. And maybe the, the, the person has enthusiasm about Christ at first. They receive God's word, and they're enthusiastic. They tell people about what they learned. And they go to church, and they, they listen to God's word, and they're, they're in awe. Okay? It's not that the plant's not really healthy at first. When it starts, it looks good. Green. It rains a couple times, gets some moisture. But then over time, what happens? Uh huh. Yeah. Yep. Mm hmm. Exactly. So over time, this person, I'm going to liken it to a person again. Um, this person is enthusiastic at first, but then over time, what happens? It's just sort of, it's not abrupt, it just sort of slowly loses its whatever. It just dies away, sort of. Sort of like a plant, like, like Jesus said, the sun comes out. And the plant just sort of wilts, okay? I'm not sure, does it? It might. Mm-hmm. Does it say that? Yeah, when affliction or persecution arises for the word's sake, immediately they're offended, it says. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So we can liken persecution to, to the sun. It comes up, and you know, in the morning, oh, it's nice and cool, and it's, everything's going good, you know. But then opposition comes, persecution comes, somebody teases you, 
about what you believe, somebody makes fun of you, somebody beats you up even. I mean, we don't have any of that really. But it happens in other places. What if that happens to you? Okay? Fear of man? Or you go by your feelings instead of faith? You know, emotions are a tricky thing. You think you actually are really excited about something, but then over time you just sort of dies away. I know I've already been really excited about something. I've had an idea, and I've been so excited about this idea, and I go to bed and I have a good night's rest, and the next morning I think about it again. It's just not the same as it was the night before. (laughs) Has that happened to you? I think that's sort of how it is. Okay? Over time, this sort of dies away. sort of like a plant. It just sort of wilts. And how's the harvest for this soil? Not too good. Yeah, there's not much. Might be a couple grains, but not very much. It dies before hardly any fruit is seen. Okay, the thorny soil. Maybe that's most like me. I don't know about you, but I think it's most like me. How's the soil? Perfect soil. Yeah, perfect soil. Well-fed spiritually. Good family and friends, good environment. Everything needed for a plant to grow and prosper. The soil is perfect. Okay? There's nothing wrong with it. The soil is exactly the same as the fertile soil. What about the plant? Anything wrong with the plant? No. No, you look at the plant, it's beautiful. It grows. Likening this to a person again, this person um, has a good relationship with God, reads God's word, talks with him, prays, tries to, when he sins, he repents, things like that. But what's the problem? There's no fruit. Well, why? I mean, there's good soil, and the plant is good. So why no? Why? Why? Yeah, he gets shaded by other stuff. Other stuff starts crowding it out. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and here Jesus use, uses thorns, but it doesn't necessarily have to be thorns, does it? These can be good things, okay? There are just too many. <laughs> if you try to sow, I mean, everybody knows, if you try to sow too much of one stuff, too much of one thing at one place, something's going to have to die in order for the other stuff to be able to grow. So the plant's healthy, and the soil's good. And it's, <clears throat> it's not necessarily because, um, I don't know, it could be. But I like to think of it as not, it's not necessarily sin that's holding this person back, is it? I mean, it could be. But it might be just good things. Too many, or, or things that put, are put higher in priority than what they should be. God should be the number one priority. But in this person's life, the, the, at first maybe, 
everything's good. The, the farmer, using the example of the story here, the farmer goes out, sees this nice plant, and he sees some other small weeds. Those will never outgrow. You know, they'll probably stay small, and the, the weed will just grow, and the weeds will just stay you know, a little bit shorter. Well, we all know how that works. You get out in the garden, you, uh, I probably don't need to weed that. I mean, the other stuff will grow faster, hopefully. But one rain is all it takes, and it's like, boom. Everything's higher, okay? That's the same how it is with this plant. The farmer sees it, and he doesn't pull the weeds right away. And before you know it, the plant is choked out by all these other things. And how's the harvest? Still no harvest, yeah. Too many other things. Or we do good things out of habit, maybe. We're not intentional about serving God. We don't prioritize properly. We start to forget God. We have bills to pay. We have to go to work to make money. Okay? And we do. But we've got to make sure it stays in its place. Wealth becomes a curse. And I found this really interesting about the, the money part. We all know what Jesus said about wealth the one time. The, what did he liken it to? What was his example? Of the riches, the rich man? What was the example? The rich man was like a camel trying to get through a needle. It was the same as a rich man trying to get into heaven. Now, was Jesus saying that a rich man can't get into heaven or that a rich man shouldn't get into heaven? I don't think so. A rich man can be in heaven just as, just as easily as a poor man can. But what's, what will hold him back? And in the example of the camel and the needle, I view it as... Not, don't think of it as the needle being too small. Think of it as the camel being too big. Okay? So we have this huge sack of wealth, and we're trying to drag it with us. Okay? It's not that the needle is too small. We're just trying to take too much along with us. And it's not, it's not that riches or wealth are bad. But riches are deceitful, as the Bible says. They'll grab you and get a hold of you. Before you know it, they'll take you down. Just like these thorns in this story. I don't think Jesus' is, I don't think Jesus point is saying that riches are bad. It's just that they're so hard to handle. You know? Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's right. Too many other things. God welcomes the rich and poor, but it is so much harder to be rich because riches are deceitful. Okay, and now last, the, the bright part of this story. The last soil is what? Fourth one, what is it? The good one, good soil, fertile soil. Soil is fertile. The plant is healthy. Okay, same as the thorny soil so far. 
But how's the harvest this time? Yeah, it's a bumper crop. Although, it's interesting that Jesus didn't say the good soil yielded a hundredfold. He says it yielded 30-fold, 60-fold, and 100-fold. Why do you think he said that? I don't know. But I have some ideas. I think it's to illustrate that not everybody will get the same amount of work done in God's kingdom. We might do all the sowing we can, the best we can, and still only manage 30-fold. Is that bad? No. That's a success. Okay, We're here in the fertile soil. And some soil might be free of rocks, free of thorns, might be good, plowed, and everything. But it won't yield as much as this other soil. And that's not bad. As long as we do the best we can. That's right. Right. Some have many talents. Okay, I'm going to do the like the hundredfold. Sorry, a hundredfold. Some people have a lot of talents and will do a lot for Christ. They're doing their best and they're talented, and they might bring a lot of people to Christ. Their heart might be full of harvest. Okay, and they're yeah doing a lot of good work. Others won't achieve the most, but they'll do the most they can. And some might not have a lot of talents. Some might not have a lot of abilities. Maybe they're still young. But that's no excuse. Those people will humbly consecrate what little they have for the cause of Christ. Well, those who, say, bring forth a hundredfold, would they be able to do that without those alongside the 60 and 30? It all, it all goes, like, <clears throat> in the, when Jesus threshes, you know, you don't, you don't have this, oh, well, these, you know, this wheat here gave a lot more, so we'll put this over in one side. No, it all gets dumped together. We all, all our, our, our harvest gets added to the same silo or whatever, you know. It's not separated. It's a harvest. <clears throat> and as long as we do the best that we can and bring forth a harvest, that's all that matters. So don't judge yourself or others based on the harvest that you think they have. You know, in the category, in the study of gifts, Mm -hmm. there are two categories. There's doing gifts and speaking gifts. So we may think that the speaking gifts get more done, but not necessarily. Mm -mm. So the speaking gifts wouldn't be prosper as well if it wouldn't be for those that do their part in the doing gifts. Yeah. You're right. Everybody is needed. Mm -hmm. And like uh, it says in Luke 21, where Jesus was watching the people going and casting in their offering. We all remember the story of the poor widow, right? And he saw a certain poor widow casting in thither two mites. And he said, Of a truth I say unto you, this poor widow has cast in more than they all. For all these did of their superfluity cast in unto the gifts. But she of her want did cast in all the living that she had. So maybe this person is, has a 60-fold harvest, but could actually give a 100-fold harvest if he would do the best that he can. That, 
yeah, I mean, that's, that's, that's bad. Just because you have it, just because you're doing things isn't necessarily, isn't necessarily good. You need to do the best that you can. To give everything that you can. <clears throat> Which fruit would God value most? A watermelon, an apple, a cherry, or a mustard seed? They're all valuable, right? Yeah, they're all valuable. I don't think God would value any of those more than the other based on the size. But we can't use this as an excuse then. Oh, well, I'm just not good at anything. So I'll just, you know, sort of do my thing. If I don't achieve much as this person, well, that's fine. You know, I just, I just can't, you know. That's not right either. We need to do the best that we can. That's sort of the moral I'd like to draw out of this story. Do the best that you can with what you're given. You're given seed, so sow the best that you can wherever you can. And as for your own personal life, take God's word, take what he gives you, take it all that you can, and make your own harvest the best that you can with God's help, with his word. So what type of soil are you? Are you too busy, too indifferent about, what, about God? Are you too busy doing other things? Or are other things more attractive than what God is offering you? Is your heart too hard? Or don't you have enough perseverance to keep on going? Do you, are you enthusiastic at first, but then you quickly forget? Do you allow other things in your life to choke out what you know is right? Do you fail to prioritize, prioritize properly? Or are you good soil? And it's not enough to just be good soil. We must do the best that we can. Let's pray. Dear God, thank you for this story. And thank you for the, the way that you illustrate these stories in ways that we can understand. I pray that you would help each of us to do the best that we can at all times. And that our harvest would glorify and honor you. And that we could sow our seed wherever we go, even when we think they're not going to bring forth fruit. Because we know that you're in charge of that, and you will make the seeds grow. Help us this evening as we go from here. Protect us. In Jesus' name, amen.